This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio and Spear, written and narrated by Nicola Griffith. This is a spellbinding and subversive queer recasting of Arthurian myth. The girl grows up in a cave with her mother, but visions of a faraway lake haunt her. When she hears a traveler speak of Artos, king of Caerleon, she knows her future lies in his court. Brimming with magic and eager to test her strength, she rides to Caerleon. On her adventures, she will meet great knights and steal the hearts of beautiful women. She will fight warriors and sorcerers, and she will find her love, the lake, and her fate. This is an amazing retelling of Camelot from Nicola Griffith, and it is narrated by her on audio. I will tell you that I have read this story, and I loved it so much, so I'm super excited for it to be out in the world and for all of you to experience it as well. So again, that is Spear, written by Nicola Griffith from Macmillan Audio. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 127, and we're recording on April 15th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Sharifa Williams. And as my request <laughs> from the prior episode, we're going to talk about even more of our favorite reads from the first quarter of this year, because this year is a bonkers first quarter. It is. It is. And you, in particular, were a reading machine this quarter. <laughs> I really don't know what happened, to tell you the truth. Like, I was in such a low finishing books level last year, yeah. but I don't know. It's it's all coming together. Yeah, you're I, seeing the light. That's a wonderful <laughs> thing to hear about and experience as a reader. I mean... It's really nice. It is. And it gave me the opportunity to talk about a book I didn't get to talk about last time and to read another book. Uh, that's a bit of a cheat, but still counts in my mind. Yeah, you're just barely cheating. Yeah. So I feel like it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll talk about that more later. And before we start talking about news, I'm going to tell you about our sponsor, which is Spear by Nicola Griffith. And this is from Tor.com Publishing. And this is a retelling from nebula and lambda award-winning author of hild nicola griffith and it features an unforgettable hero and a queer arthurian masterpiece for the modern era so this is a spellbinding vision of an inclusive camelot that belongs to us all it's centered around a queer woman who becomes a knight and it masterfully blends mythology and history with a fresh new take on a familiar story. Uh, Publishers Weekly called this a fresh, emotionally immediate queer spin on the medieval tale of Percival and the Holy Grail. And Alex E. Harrow, who is probably familiar to a lot of you listening out there, calls Spear humane, intelligent, and deeply beautiful. And I know Jen has read it and loved it, and it sounds so amazing. So if you want to read a Arthurian retelling, you should definitely check out Spear, again, by Nicola Griffith, and that's from Tor.com Publishing. Bonus, it is a novella, or maybe a novelette. I can never remember the difference. So if you are, like, craving some short, enthralling fiction... That is what it is. It me. That's me. I'm looking for that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Go get those short books, Sharifa. Yeah. I love 
love it. Yes, it's good stuff. All right, so news. We have news. I want to start with the big news, which is Hugo finalists are announced. I always love to see. I love award season because it's just exciting to talk about what books are up for these awards. And we have quite a list. There are some personal favorites, as always, <laughs> on this list. Um, in the best novel category, the finalists are A Desolation Called Peace by Arcady Martin, which is a sequel to A Memory Called Empire. I've read that one. I haven't read this one yet, but it's on my TBR. Uh, the Galaxy and the Ground Within by Becky Chambers, which I loved. Mm-hmm. I really loved that. That's the fourth book in the Wayfarer series. And then Light from Uncommon Stars by Rika Aoki, which was one of my favorite books of last year. Yeah. So, so good. A Master of Gin by P. Jelly Clark, which, you know, we never shut up about those books. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir, also on here. And She Who Became the Sun by Shelley Parker Jan. Like, last wow. year was bananas in good books, right? How do you even, I don't even know where this is going to oh, no. go. Like, I have no, no. clue. Not a clue. I don't know. I have no idea how they're going to. I do not envy those judges. That Well, the Hugos are the ones. Am I voting on the Hugos? I am voting on the Hugos. Yeah. <laughs> so, so many awards. I'm going to have to vote. <laughs> I'm going to have to pick one. <laughs> Good luck for everybody. I don't even know. Yeah. That's a tough one. I. Yeah. I I'm feeling I like feel like I'm gonna break out into hives just thinking about having to choose <laughs> something like that. But what a great list! What a fantastic right! What list. a great list! It's bananas. And then I I I didn't realize how far behind I was on novellas for 2021. But man, I have not. I've only read one of these. I've read Fireheart Tiger by Aliette de Bedard. Have you read any of these other? Oh no, that's not true. I read A Song for the Wild. Yeah, Belt I was gonna Becky say. Chambers. Yeah, but I, I haven't read, read these others. Have you? I have only read one, which is wild because I am usually on top of my novellas. Yeah. That's like the one category I usually feel super confident about. But this is um, a bit humbling today yeah. <laughs> to see that I am not 100% caught up. Uh, but I did read A Psalm for the Wild Built. I've talked about it on this show. And I, I super, super love that novella and obviously have some catching up to do on the rest of the yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad to see Fireheart Tiger on there. I haven't gotten a chance to talk about it, I don't think, on a podcast. Um, yeah. But it's sort of like an alternate history fantasy. And it's very satisfying is mm. what I want to say about that. Uh, and then in Best Series, I was like super delighted to see two favorites of mine in here. The Greenbone Saga by Fonda Lee and The Kingston Cycle by C.L. Polk. Both of which I know we have talked about on the show before. And there are lots of other series in here that I clearly need to catch up. On, <laughs> as always also people this came up in the graphic story or comic finalists category every all of a sudden everybody i know is talking about lore olympus yes. by rachel smythe yes like it just came out of nowhere i feel like so now i have to look into that yeah i remember when people were talking about it a lot i th- I feel like it used to be like a web comic and then mm. was um published in print I never read it, so um, I don't have a ton of background on it, but I remember hearing about it in passing here and there. But I also, I knew you were going to say Laura Olympus because (laughs) I also feel like I have been hearing so much about it lately, 
And I will yeah. say, like, the illustrations I've seen from mm. um, that graphic novel are amazing and 100% my wheelhouse. And so I feel like I have to check it out at some point. Yeah. Uh, I do want to call out uh, just a little bit more in the Lodestar Award for Best Young Adult Book Finalists. Uh, Iron Widow by Zaren J. Zhao is on. I know. <laughs> and uh. Redemptor by Jordan Ifwako, which we also love, love, love. Oh, my goodness. Um, and there are other authors I love on there, too. Darcy Little Badger and Charlie Jane Anders are both on there, but I haven't read either of those yet. So I need to. I have so many books to get to is the end of this story. Yeah, so many books. Every time I think I'm getting a little bit caught up, uh, I get a reminder that I'm not. But I love this. I love that I'm I'm particularly excited in a way I haven't been. I mean, I'm always excited when I see authors I mm. know and love on lists. But this is maybe the first time in a while I've seen so many of my favorites mm. in one place. And so yeah. I love that it's difficult to decide who's going <laughs> to win these awards. And mm -hmm. I can't wait to pick up some of these books when I have a minute. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that was a lovely beginning. Uh, and I want to continue with the fun news. This one is mostly fun. There is a note of annoyance for me in this <laughs> entertainment uh, weekly piece that's reported on by Nick Romano. And it's news of the Nimona adaptation, which is was super exciting when I first heard mm. about it. And this is the adaptation of the graphic novel by Andy Stevenson. I think I'm pretty sure I have, you know, did the Muppet arms for this graphic yes. novel before on this show because it was hilarious and touching and just a beautifully told um graphic novel that I wish I could reread over and over and over again. So we talked about some of this adaptation news. The, the news was actually announced some time ago, but the update on the news is that Netflix has actually saved the adaptation. It was originally going to be ad uh, adapted by Disney, but Disney ended up scrapping it. And according to this piece, <clears throat> Uh, Disney was almost complete, like it, the, the film, the adaptation was almost complete when they scrapped it. Yeah. And yeah. And so Netflix came in and saved the day. And there's um, a still from the movie that looks amazing. It's just the tiniest sneak peek of what it's going to look like. We don't have much more on it. But in this piece, it did report that... According to some former employees who spoke to Business Insider, uh, Disney executives had taken issue with the LGBTQ themes in Nimona. And so mm. according to this piece, that had something to do with the scrapping of the adaptation by Disney. And that was my point of annoyance with this. And if that is actually the case, if that's what happened, all I have to say about that is it's their loss because this is an amazing story. And 
I cannot wait to see it. And I am so glad that it just didn't go away and that Netflix came in and and decided to adapt it and bring it to all of the millions of fans out there of this story. Yes. Yeah, I remember reading Early Nimona on Tumblr, so I'm just so excited that more and more people are going to get to see this great story. I do have the tiniest little quibble with this teaser, which it's hard to tell because it is just a tiny little image. There's not a whole, it's not a full shot of Nimona. Yeah. But in the comic, like, she was a full-figured gal. Yeah. Like, she was broad-shouldered and, like, kind of stocky. And this is a very slender-looking Nimona mm-hmm. in this image. And I don't I don't know if that's just an angle or if they have slimmed the character down. I'll be, I'll be sad if they did that because it would be nice to see body representation um, in here as from the original. But I was delighted to see that Riz Ahmed is voicing Ballister Blackheart. That sounds awesome. So <laughs> yes. I, I'm mostly excited with a uh, with a couple quibbles. And yes. I am so glad that Netflix has picked this up because it is a it is a story that deserves to be portrayed in as many places as it possibly can, as far as I'm concerned. So agreed. Agreed. Um and it doesn't come out until twenty twenty three. So, yeah. So we have some waiting. <laughs> yeah, we got some waiting to do. But hopefully we'll get some teaser, like legit teasers. Yeah. Yeah. I am sure we will. And I will definitely check it out and keep my fingers crossed that they did not slim her down. Yeah. Uh, let's see. A quick one from me. The It is award season, y'all. It is just award season up in here. And so the Orialis Awards, which are Australia's speculative fiction awards, the finalists have also been announced for their shortlist. And I do not know most of these books. Um, some Aussie authors do get published in the U.S., but this is a year where there's just not a lot of overlap. And so if you are trying to read more internationally, this is a great opportunity to do some research and find some new authors. And yeah, I love I love an, a short list for an award for finding new international fiction. So I wanted to I wanted to throw this on your radars. You can look at all of the uh, all of the finalists in the link from the Orialis Awards. There are a couple names familiar to me. Angela Slatter, I've read some of her work, although not the one that's nominated. Same for DK. I've read short stories by Mock, um, but not that particular one. Garth Nix is in here. Probably the most famous SFF yeah. uh, Australian author out there. So anyway, do some do some looking up. Oh, here's one. A Marvelous Light by Freya Marsk uh, was all over the place. <laughs> yeah. And that has been nominated for Best Fantasy Novel. So there are other ones. There are a few in here that you might recognize. But there's more that you don't. And that's always a good thing. Yeah, I definitely tried to, like, do a quick scan of the list just to see if I recognized anything. And I was like, wow, I (laughs) truly don't. But she actually, She Who Became the Sun is on here by Shelley Parker Chan. Oh, right. I always forget that Shelley Parker Chan is Australian. I did not know that either. (laughs) So I'm learning all sorts of new things today. But yeah, really excited to see all sorts of books from places that are not the U.S. and authors who don't come from the U.S., I guess. Um, And yeah, I will definitely be checking out some of these titles. 
Well, my last news story is another bit of adaptation news, and it's an update about the interview with the Vampire TV series. And this comes from Bleeding Cool, and it's reported on by Ray Fluke. And <laughs> so AMC released a <laughs> teaser, and it's the most teasery of teasers. <laughs> I think I like turned my averted my eyes for a second while I was playing it and I was like, wait, it's done. But it is oh, no. <laughs> like, 30 seconds, but you get some like, it looks very cool. It looks very like dark and broody like you would expect from an interview with the vampire adaptation. But more than that, even we get, I ha I haven't looked at any news about this adaptation since the last time we talked about it, which feels like a million years ago. So <laughs> for me, this was just also an opportunity to catch up on some of the casting news as well. So there are some actors here that uh, are announced as being part of the cast that I don't really recognize, but there's Lestat being played by... Um, Sam Reed and Jacob Anderson is going to be Lewis. There are also a couple of newcomers. For instance, Kaylin Coleman is going to play Grace. And I actually had to look up who Grace is because mm. it was a character who was unfamiliar to me. But apparently it's Lewis. She's Lewis's sister. And this is where I sort of started going down a little bit of a rabbit hole. There is really not that much information out there about how this adaptation is going to differ from the novel. It is just very clear that it's going to diverge quite a bit. And Grace is Lewis's sister. And so she's going to play a pretty big role it seems i could see that she was in five episodes so that's where i'm basing that off mm. of and it's going to take place in the past but there's also going to be a more contemporary aspect of the story so i'm really curious about how where they're going to take this story they have definitely made it more diverse uh there are multiple um actors of color here and I I could only see like a few of them and mm. I only knew a few of them but it was really interesting to kind of get some sort of picture of what this is going to look like and this is all part of AMC's big deal where they uh, purchased some of Anne Rice's books so they actually have rights to a bunch of her stuff, including the lives of the Mayfair witches, which they're going to be adapting. So, yeah, I'm just like, I don't know what to expect out of this, but you can watch the <laughs> teaser trailer and make your own judgments. Yeah, it definitely has a vibe. There's no doubt it's yeah. got a vibe. <laughs> I'm like torn about I don't know. I don't know what I will do with this. I don't actually don't even know if I can watch it. I don't know how to watch AMC these days on when everything I do is streaming. So I know, that's maybe true. I have access and maybe I don't. <laughs> I did not even think about that. 
<laughs> yeah. Where? I, like where? I'm, I'm sure we can figure it out. But anyway, it's yeah. I, but I am. I'm curious. My curiosity, honestly, will probably get the better of me. If it's easy to access, I will probably watch it just to see. So. Yeah. I think that the more we learn about what the actual, at least for me, the more I learn about what the plot is going to look like and how yeah. they're going to change it and whether it's going to speak to me specifically mm-hmm. is going to really mm-hmm. determine whether I make an effort to figure out how to watch an AMC series. Yes, yes. Well, there you go. Uh, let's see. Okay, I just have one last quick note here. Um, if you are trying to keep on top of new releases, which, you know, no judgment if you're not, it's totally fine. But if you would like to get excited about new books coming out this month in April, Mara Franzen has put together a great list of 12 of the most anticipated SFF books for Book Riot. And it is a great list. It includes mm-hmm. a lot of books I either have read or am super excited about reading. So I'm going to leave a link to that in the show notes for your browsing enjoyment yes and yeah that's our news oh it's time for another sponsor isn't it it is indeed so our next sponsor is saga press with fevered star from rebecca roanhorse i this is one that is high on my tbr because it is the sequel to black sun which i know i talked about when it came out in 2020 a bunch a bunch it's really (laughs) amazing epic fantasy set in a sort of historical re-envisioning of um like the indigenous uh and pre-columbian cultures of the aztecs and the mayans there's some polynesian references in there um and it is not set in our world it's a secondary world so roan horse is making it that history her own and you know doing amazing things with it there is a whole like gods being reborn situation there's giant crows that have riders and there's all kinds of politics there's some great oceany things that i don't want to like spoil if you haven't already started reading the series but it's really really good so mm-hmm. i am so excited for this sequel and so excited for other people to get on board this this train because it's a lovely thing to have historical fantasy that addresses regions and is inspired by cultures that we just don't often get to see on the page. So again, that is Fevered Star, which is the second book in the Meridian series by Rebecca Roanhorse, and this is from Saga Press. Wonderful. Yeah. All right. It's time to talk about more of our most... uh, Well, not most anticipated. I'm going to be talking (laughs) about a book that was on my most anticipated list, but our favorite reads from the first quarter of the year. And my first one, yes, was on my most anticipated reads list earlier, and I did not get to talk about it. I did not want to pick two of the books I had already talked about in my most anticipated, but I was kind of sad about it because I really loved this collection, and I just want everybody to pick it up. So this is Kim Fu's Lesser Known Monsters of the 21st Century. And it is a collection of uh, mostly speculative short stories. So it collects 12 stories 
some of them lean more sci-fi, some lean more fantasy, some are fabulous, and a few of them do not have any speculative elements at all. Uh, I think there are only three of them, I'll say, that don't have speculative elements. But for this episode, I will focus on the ones that do have speculative elements, since that is our interest. But I firstly don't open a short story collection to any story in the book. I know that's not like everybody's preference because the the wonderful thing about short story collections is that you generally don't have to read the stories in order. I just tend to read them front to back and because of that the first story in a collection really sets the tone for me and it, for that reason as well, it is really hard for me to push forward if I don't find that first story particularly compelling. And I really, really did not have that problem with Fu's collection. In fact, uh, the first short story in the collection, pre-simulation consultation, XF007867, <laughs> hit me right in the gut. Uh, I knew that it was going to be difficult to say that title aloud. I forgot about the, the whole number part. did a great part. job. Thank you. <laughs> so in this story, which has a really interesting back and forth dialogue format, there's this situation where a simulation client undergoes screening for this simulated experience. So... The conversation is between the client and a simulation operator, and we end up learning the motives behind the client's decision to try this simulation and how the operator navigates this really difficult conversation with this client. And this is one of those stories that uses futuristic technology to weave a tale about humanity and things that are very relatable and it just did me in it was very sad and bittersweet I guess and so that one like gripped me from the beginning and then my favorite story in the whole collection followed right after that so I had no choice but to plow through the rest of the book because I was just like these stories are so good right off the bat so Liddy mm. first to fly is this coming-of-age story about a girl who grows wings in an unusual, unexpected way. And the story is told from the point of view of one of her friends. And so this situation, this phenomenon occurs at a pivotal moment in the group of friends' relationship as they're discovering interests and other bonds and things that are kind of pulling them in different directions. So when Liddy grows her wings, they're all kind of drawn together by her determination to fly. And it feels deeply like that last big moment shared by a friend group. It's very relatable and magical. And it's one of those stories that I will probably pick up and read again and again. And there are so many great stories, and I, I feel like lots of people will find something in like a favorite story or something that is deeply relatable in one of these at least but there's one about an infestation of june bugs and this one was really 
had a really sad note. It afflicts a woman who's recovering from an abusive relationship. And the June bugs are part of this story and part of her experience coping with this abusive relationship she had and coming away from it. And then there's a story about the intersection of this news story about a strange consuming blob traveling through the sea and an, a really unhappy bride and about a time cube that can reverse or advance the age of whatever is in the cube and a story about another group of kids this time passing around a haunted doll, which is really creepy. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was a really creepy one. It, it, she did a good job of creeping me out <laughs> but I think the wonderful thing that I think spoke to me particularly was that a lot of these stories center around women and some of the experiences uh some traumatic and some really in uplifting in a way and the collection as a whole has this really fresh, contemporary feel. I've basically already marked it down for gifting to people who maybe wouldn't call themselves SFF readers, but have really enjoyed contemporary speculative fiction in the past. It's, Ooh. I think, a great starter collection for people who want to get more into SFF. So, you know, I had my favorites among the stories, of course, but I really can't think of a single story in the book that I didn't find interesting in some way. So if you're looking for some great shorter works, you should definitely check out Lesser Known Monsters of the 21st Century by Kim Fu. And I do want to leave a content warning, like I said, for uh, partner abuse. And then there's also... Uh, suicide in the story as well so just note that well I like you was trying to spread out my most anticipated <laughs> so this was very good for me because I could get another one in here I anticipated it I read it and I loved it Wonderful. Uh, it is When We Were Birds by Ayana Lloyd Banwo and this is if you recall a mythic love story set in contemporary Trinidad uh, I oh the writing in this book y'all it's written in that sort of dialect voice of Trinidad and it is so immersive right from the jump it just pulls you right in you're being told this story and you are with these characters we have two narrators uh, Yajida who is from this family the St. Bernards where in every generation there is a woman who's who inherits the legacy of the family that involves shepherding souls into the afterlife. They live just outside of this city and, uh, and yeah, they like live in this huge house. They have people who are also sort of like generationally involved with them. Um, it's like a little community and they all know that this is like the family's deal. Like this family has, you know, supernatural gifts and, this is the legacy. And Yajida has not been taught anything about the family legacy, though. Her mother is very disconnected, not really interested in parenting, like maybe only had a kid 
to do the thing, like felt it was her duty. Mm. And so as Yujita's mother is starting to like, she's going to die. It's her health is declining. And Yujita is put in this position where she sort of has no idea what she's supposed to do next and is not maybe that interested in continuing the family legacy. (laughs) And our other narrator is Darwin, who has been raised out in the country by a very devout Rastafarian mother. And this was something I learned from this book. One of the religious commandments for Rastafari are not to interact with the dead. So you don't go to funerals, you don't Mm. go to cemeteries, etc., And he is trying to get work. His mother is aging and, like, no longer able to do the – she's, like, a very talented seamstress and fabric artist. But she has arthritis and she's no longer able to do what she used to do. And he really needs to find work, but there's just nothing. So after waiting, you know, for ages in the employment line, the one job that he is offered is to work at a cemetery in the city, which is, like – not a thing, but he doesn't feel like he can refuse. So despite his mother's feelings about it and his own religious upbringing, he cuts his hair, he goes to the city, and he takes this job. And the two of them are brought together by this cemetery and by their relationship to death, which is obviously very different for each of them. And this book, y'all, I like get chills talking about it. I get chills Mm. thinking about it. It is a beautiful love story. It's beautiful writing. It's all about how complicated family responsibilities can be. It's about finding your own way and trying to decide whether or not that means that you can still be a part of your family. And the way that these questions are answered for these characters, I think, felt so real and earned. And I really loved the ending. It is sort of a, like, you know, speaking of contemporary speculative fiction, like, that's the vibe. It's not, I wouldn't call it full-on fantasy. I think it's much more on the speculative side um, with this folklore and folk magic that infuses the story and the lives of these characters. But, oh, I'm just, it's so good. It's so good. (laughs) It's it's amazing. I need everybody to read it. Uh, So, again, that's When We Were Birds by Ayana Lloyd Banwo. That's next on my list. It's actually yes. in my Libra library as we yes. speak. Yeah. I can't wait to have all the feels. <sighs> okay. Well, my last pick is, this is my bit of a cheat pick, but it's not really because it was just published the very first week of this quarter. And that's <laughs> truly close enough for me. So mm-hmm. I am talking about Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel. And as many of you probably know, I just came down from my Station Eleven adaptation Ecstasy. And mm. yeah, I just wanted I just wanted more of Mandel, I guess. And I missed reading The Glass Hotel, which was The next book, not related to Station Eleven, but it just was published after Station Eleven. I just missed that boat. But Sea of Tranquility was right there, fresh and new, while Station Eleven was also fresh and new in my mind. And I'm not going to lie, like usual, I was especially drawn to how short it is. I just really love a good, short, powerful story. And so I ended up listening to the audiobook which has a a full cast. So I think there are about four or five narrators. 
And it's only, it's just over five hours in length. So that's how short it is. And like Station Eleven, there is a pandemic in this story, but it's very peripheral. So this is by no means a Station Eleven style story. I don't want to like lead anybody on in that way. This is a story that actually centers a supernatural phenomenon and time traveling technology. And it is told from the POV of a cast of characters living in the past. So I'm talking like the early 20th century to the far future. And the story comes together like a puzzle with one person tying all of these characters who also share a connection to this supernatural event together. And the story starts at the beginning, meaning it starts in the early 1900s, where we meet Edwin St. John St. Andrew, who comes from wealth and privilege and who's exiled for voicing unpopular opinions about colonization at the dinner table. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> it's a whole scene. <laughs> and Edwin is kind of this unmoored person. He still has privilege. Um, he gets an allowance and he's left his own device, his own devices, but he's basically exiled. He has to leave his home. He has to go across the sea to North America and he doesn't know what to do with himself. And then his aimlessness kind of leads him into this forest where something very strange happens to him. And then we move on to these other characters. Edwin's story isn't done. A lot of these stories, like, you see bits and pieces of them even as you move forward to these other characters. Like, for instance, there's a woman of our own generation who is seeking out an old friend only to learn that she's lost her forever after witnessing this film that her friend recorded in her teens in, like, the 90s. And the film shows this really disorient, disorienting moment again in the forest. And then there's a violinist who's this virtuoso of the far future who kind of busks for the joy of it and whose music travels outside of a logical timeline. There's also an author on a book tour also in the far future who has a strange meeting and receives an even stranger message. And just as an aside, reading the story about this author, Olive, had me kind of guessing what aspects Mandel plucked from her own lived experience as an author. Mm. It felt very, like, plucked from experience. And I could <laughs> see these things. It's probably a common shared. These moments are probably common shared moments a lot of authors of particularly successful books have but I thought that was really interesting and there were other aspects of this story as well that felt personal to Mandel but that was just my take but in general I really love a good unraveling story where you're left to kind of put the pieces down and you finally you get the satisfying moment of finally seeing the big picture but I think the pieces themselves have to be interesting enough to participate in the exercise. And they absolutely were in this story. There was more to the stories of these characters than the strange meeting each of them had and this supernatural event. They were each struggling with something. They had this inner turmoil, whether it was 
listlessness or grief or longing. Um, and I thought Mandel's ability to also jump around in time felt really seamless. And she presented this really interesting take on the far future. The whole thing was just really well done. I was completely gripped the whole time. And it felt like just the right length for this kind of story. So if you love stories about the solving of unexplained phenomena, and there is also detective work sprinkled in here, you should definitely check this one out. So again, I've been talking about Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel. That's on my list as well. I'm looking forward to it. It's really good. Ooh, so much to read. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So my science fiction pick is Light Years from Home by Mike Chen, which I know when we were doing our most anticipated show, I sort of double dipped because it was a sponsor and it had been on my long list for yes. what I was going to talk about on that show. So here we are. <laughs> um, it, I read it. It was also great. But ooh, what a book it it, it is intense, and I will tell you a little bit more about how intense it is. Uh, before I do that, content warnings for dementia and loss of a parent, and I am going to touch a bit on the dementia piece. So if that's not something you're interested in hearing about, you can skip ahead. So Light Years From Home, I this is my first Mike Chen experience, and I know mm -hmm. I'm like behind on that train, but that's fine. I've arrived. Here we are. <laughs> This book I actually started and had to step away from for a moment because while it is like, as it says on the cover or the cover synopsis, like about alien abduction and like what that does to a family, it is so steeped in like dysfunctional, hard family feelings. And the emotions are so present on the page that I and I had picked it up in a moment where like that was not something I was ready for. So I had to put it down and then come back to it when I was feeling a little more grounded. And I'm so glad I did come back to it. But I do want to say like the feelings in this book are a gut punch. Like they are a gut punch. So it follows this family in which um when the book starts, it's like 10 years uh, after um, the their brother Jacob, oh, excuse me, 15 years after their brother Jacob disappeared. They were on a family camping trip. Um, two sisters, the father and the brother were all on a family camping trip and their father and brother both vanished. And then their dad turned up a few days later, very confused, very dehydrated and absolutely convinced that they had been abducted by aliens and that Jacob was still with the aliens. Obviously, people did not believe this mm. but there were some very confusing and unexplained circumstances around this and this is not a spoiler it's literally the first chapter you find out that that is really what happened jacob is with the aliens and then he has to get back to earth because of this like intergalactic war situation or is that what happened? This is a mm. game that Mike Chen plays with us through the whole book. And let me tell you, from one chapter to the next, I would be convinced of something different. Because everybody telling the story is so convinced of their own truth that you think you know what you believe. And then you get to the next chapter and you're like, oh, maybe it's this other thing. And then you read again. You're like, no, maybe it's this other thing. So Mike Chen really plays with narrator belief and our, you know, response to 
a strongly held belief by somebody whose brain we're like basically in. So the story alternates between Jacob's perspective and then his two sisters, Cass, who's the his twin and who's the oldest and is taking care of their mother, who does have dementia and is really declining. And she is not told anybody else what's going on. She's doing this all by herself. She's divorced. She is very sort of stressed out by the whole situation, understandably. And, you know, she just she harbors a lot of resentment against her siblings for reasons that make a lot of sense for her. And then Evie, who is the youngest, is working as a veterinary technician, but she has a side hustle because she believed their dad when he said they were abducted by aliens. And she has been researching UFOs and sightings and all of the science, trying to find like the actual science around it for years. She's very smart. She's, you know, sort of underemployed, but she's just working to pay the bills while she does. She works with this group um, that investigates alien encounters and UFO sightings and whatnot. And so you are jumping between the three of them. Jacob turns up again. Cass does not believe him. Evie does. It's very confusing for everyone. And there's like this amazing scene where they're fighting in a diner. And I was like, oh, so real. It's so real. Like the sibling dynamics are really, really real. Um, You also get this lovely story of what it's like to be an Asian American family in various circumstances. And each of them has such a strong personality like these characters are so real so so real so I really if you are like interested in you know complicated family dynamics if you're interested in like yeah what would it be like to have this happen in your family and like would you believe would you not believe what would what proof would you require like what would make you believe Mm. if a long lost sibling turned up and it was like oh yeah it was aliens uh you know what what would you do in these circumstances is a real question and also seeing these characters get to a resolution for themselves was so wonderful like by the end of the book I was like phew like I felt like like a huge tension had been released and I was so happy for these characters to find their truths and move on after having been stuck in this dynamic for like 15 years oh it's 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 a big emotional feeling and I was really satisfied at the end of it I really you know went on such a journey with these characters it is a lot but it's totally worth it um so again that has been light years from home by Mike Chen Wow, what a story that sounds like. It's something, man. It's something. (laughs) (laughs) It's really real in there. Well, that's uh, that's our show. <laughs> we hope that you are also enjoying the books of this first part of the year. We know there's lots more good ones to come, and we can't wait to talk with you about them. Thank you so much to our sound editor, Caitlin Brame, for taking out all of my allergy sneezes and making (laughs) us sound great each and every episode. If you would like more book recommendations, you can get those at bookriot.com. You can find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. Uh, and as always, you can email us at sffyeah at bookriot.com. Maybe you have theme suggestions. Maybe you've read some of these books and have your own experiences. you got feedback for the show. Send it in. Pet pictures. We love a pet picture. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> again, that is sffyeah at bookriot.com. 
You can also review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps other sci-fi fantasy nerds to find the show. And speaking of finding us, Sharifa, where can the people find you? They can find me on Instagram. I'm at Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.